Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pure Fitbit podcast, a podcast that firmly believes in the undeniable truth that Carol Baskin did kill her husband and feed him to the tigers. I'm your host for today, Andrew Miller, which some of our regular listeners will know me from the Pure Football European podcast, but we've got something a little bit different on the cards today. I'm going to be joined by two very special guests to discuss college football over in the States, that's soccer for any of our overseas listeners, um, and we're going to get an insight into some of the inner workings of how these scholarships work, the selection process, some of the stylistic differences between here and America, and why this is becoming a popular option for young players in the UK. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my co-host for today, the Pure Football Championship Podcast's Cami Anderson. How are we, mate? Yeah, well, good, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this one. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, I guess we'll get right into it. Um, I'd like to bring in our special guest for today's episode, Barry McConaughey, who played four years of football over at Malone University in Ohio, um, and then spent another year in the league as one of the coaching staff. So, welcome in, Barry. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, about as, as good as anyone can be after being stuck in the house 24 hours a day for the last five weeks straight. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so, Barry, just to give our listeners a wee bit of context, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do now? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, obviously, my name's Barry. Uh, I am 34 years old. The last 13 years I've been a personal trainer, so pretty much since uh, my football career finished over at Malone. Um, I became a personal trainer and I've been doing that ever since. Excellent. Now, I think I'm right in saying you did some work with Edinburgh City FC a couple of seasons ago. Um, so can you maybe talk us a little bit through that, what that entailed and how you sort of found the experience? Yeah, of course. Um, so it was found about it was about uh, March, April, two thousand eighteen. Um, I was and I was uh, catching up with one of my old uh, professors at Strathclyde University. Funnily enough, it was his class uh, when I found out about the scholarships, which we'll obviously explain a little bit later. Yep. But uh, I was just catching up with himself, and he's working at the University of, uh, Glasgow Caledonia now, and um, he was just talking about how there's potential uh, volunteer work uh, to help with lower league professional teams and one of the yep. contacts he had was with Edinburgh City so at the time 2018 was a huge transitional um, year for myself my marriage had uh, broken down at the beginning of the year so there was a lot of changes that needed to be made during that year so yep. when that opportunity came up uh, can I say no to it if you're uh, a lover of football and you're in the fitness industry and you've got yep. an opportunity to work with a professional football team it's it's a, it's a great opportunity so that's how I ended up working with Edinburgh City it was only during the first three months of the, the season like pre-season sure. and into the first few games but it was a great experience um, so I was working I forget the guy's name now I think his name's John Chisholm he's the fitness coach um, at uh, Air United I think he's still there uh, so I was working alongside him during pre-season, preparing the players, doing the warm-ups, uh, the, you know, like the the fitness-based uh, drills, and then the uh, assistant coach would be doing more of the the ball working in shape. But it was a great it was a great experience. Um, but at that time, I was moving uh, into management in the gym, and I was sure. finding it difficult to balance working in a gym in Glasgow, then heading up to the other side of Edinburgh uh, twice yeah, a week. So unfortunately uh, it was short-lived but it was a great experience and it's definitely something that I mean 34 so plenty of years uh, to hopefully get back involved with uh, yep, absolutely. football teams again so 
Yeah, yeah so, experience. so I guess Edinburgh City fans could could thank you for for Blue Henderson's thirty was it thirty seven thirty eight goals last season. You can hold yourself <laughs> personally responsible for that. <laughs> uh, no, I think he'd done that on his own. Um, you could tell, like I remember seeing him in pre season, and there was just something about him, like he's a big, big, tall lad. Yep. Um, and like for me, looking at him at the time, I felt he could have been. Well, obviously, as it was the start of the season, I thought he could have been a little bit sharper. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean, the guy, go, guy goes and scores 30 goals, and it was a great season for him. And I see they're still doing well, which is great. They're a great yep. bunch of bunch of lads, and uh, it's good to see they're doing well. And obviously, we see, I think, are they going to go up to League One now, now that the season's over? I know they finished second, or is it just the top? Yeah, well, Cammy, maybe you're better mm-hmm. speaking on that. You've been doing the given... construction talks and whatnot. Yeah, given all the kind of reconstruction stuff that's get thrown about, I mean, I think a lot of people have kind of suggested they should go up. Um, I think they probably should go up as well, as with all the kind of second-place teams in leagues. Just mm-hmm. A lot of the leagues are very close, especially League One, where it's just a point between Rafe Rovers and Falkirk. Obviously, there's a bit of a gap between Edinburgh and Cole for sitting top of that league. But, yeah. I mean, who who really knows if they're going to go up, stay... Yeah. Who, as I say, who knows? So we'll just yeah. need to wait and see what what happens with that. But I mean, I think they're a team who, since gaining promotion into the SPFL, they're certainly an ambitious club and a club who I don't think are far away from making that next step. And yeah, going to be interesting to see how they do. Yep, yeah, absolutely, d- definitely. Their, their coach, uh, James McDonald, or the the, the, the gaffer, is, as I know, him. I called him coach, and he gave me a mouthful. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was American in me, but Americanisms. Uh, uh, no, he's. He's a brilliant manager, and I'm glad they're doing well. So I hope they continue to to move forward because it's a great club. It's a really yep. good club. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I guess the kind of main point that we, we've got you on today, anyway, Barry, is, is we want to talk to you about your time, obviously, over in the states. Um, mm. These sort of scholarships seem to be growing in popularity. I think with, I guess, certainly younger players in in Scotland and in the UK. So I guess uh, kind of before you headed over there, you know, what what grabbed your interest initially? What was the sort of idea? Um, about playing in college in America rather than staying here and going down the more traditional route of maybe a you know a place in an academy or a lower league team. You know what sort of grabbed mm-hmm. your interest initially about playing over there? Yeah, no, def- uh, no, definitely. Um, I think it all goes back to to high school. You know, like any probably a large majority of uh, boys, and this is going back to uh, the turn of the twenty first century, even before then. Like yeah. football was your passion. Football was your religion. That's all you thought about. Um, I remember there was a, a, a period or a phase even in high school that, um, you know, uh, I would get anxiety uh, at night. This was, I think, when I was like 15, 16 years old because I'd panic thinking, what am I going to do in my life if I don't become a professional footballer? You know, I put ridiculous amounts of pressure and I'm sure there's tons of boys out there uh, that probably have the same mind process or, or thoughts uh, during that time. But... I remember back in high school, I went to St. Morris's. Uh, it was a Catholic school just across from Broadwood Stadium. And uh, the priest at the time, uh, I used to talk to him a lot uh, about football and most notably the, the Serie A because I was a big Roma fan during that time with Gabriel Batistuta and Francesco Totti and Vincenzo Mantella. And um, I was talking about how I want to do something big with football. And he says, well, why don't you go over to Italy? You know, so that, that was the first that was the plan of the seed initially. I was wanting to move to Italy and play football over there, even like an amateur team. I just thought the um, the appeal of playing football in another country for me sounded really like exciting. Yeah. So a few years later, I was at Strathclyde University, and 
um, I think it was it was my first year. I only done a year and a half there, and it was a Thursday, and I only had one class. And this was when the sports campus was up at Jordan Jordan Hill, yeah, and sure. I wasn't driving at the time, so it took me to get a bus from Moodysburn. It took about an hour and a half, just short of two hours. Uh, and it was only a, a one class, one hour lecture. And I thought traveling two hours or four hour round trip for a one hour class, I wasn't going to go. But I knew there was a gentleman coming in from, uh, I think it's Paisley College, but it's a college in Paisley. I don't know the, the particular name, sorry. Um, but he was coming in to talk about his football course that they had there. So I just thought, right, I'll go and um, I'll see what it's like. So I get there, and as I said, it was uh, Robert Keatley, whose class it was that day, uh, that I caught up with regarding Edinburgh City. And he's talking about his course and how it was to help boys who have been released from their teams and to help them, you know, bait, stage or build a career within football. They might yep. get picked by another team or they could get into coaching. So um, he then spoke about opportunities and he mentioned scholarships to America and it was like a light bulb that just switched on to me and I just thought wow because during that time I wasn't happy at Strathclyde I was still living at home I didn't feel I was getting the full university experience like a few of my friends from high school went to Stirling University so they ended up moving over there and living in the you know like the dorms <laughs> um, so I kind of I wasn't really enjoying the university experience but when I heard about the the scholarship in America, I just thought, right, I need to speak to this guy after the course. So um spoke to him and just he asked the more detail and he said they had connections with a guy called John McLaughlin at First sure. Point USA. John McLaughlin he used to play at Chelsea and uh, Greenock Morton. Um I know he was a caretaker manager at Greenock Morton during that time, two thousand and five. Mm-hmm. Um so he mentioned uh, they've got links with First Point USA who are an agency that help promote young athletes, whether it be football, golf, tennis, uh, to universities across America to help them get a scholarship. Sure. Um, so that was the beginnings, basically, um, on the pursuit of going to America. At the time, I really wanted to go over there um, with regards to choosing to do that rather than pursuing a place at an academy or a lower league team. During that time, it was as if everything was kind of falling into place, whether it be both good and bad. Um, my mum and dad had recently been uh, separated, so there was a lot of stress there. Um, I was looking at my quality of life. I was at university. I wasn't enjoying it. I was at a part-time job in Foot Locker, and I just felt I was going through the motions. And, um, when I was playing five-a-sides and seven-a-sides, I was usually playing with older people, and, yeah. like, and, and no disrespect whatsoever, but... Uh, after football, they'd be lamenting, like, oh, I, I was on the books at Celtic, or I was in the books at Rangers, and I got a knee injury, and you know, now I'm doing this, I'm working, you know, and I just, I didn't want to be that guy, I wanted to do something different, and I just felt this was a great opportunity to do something big, to create memories that I can share with my kids, to grow as a, grow as a person, you know, like, I felt I had very low self-esteem at that time, especially when my mum and dad split up, so I felt like that was affecting my football performances, like yeah. I was getting a bit sensitive if I made a mistake and my teammates were shouting at me and I know it wasn't a person, like looking at it now, it wasn't personal, but I was taking it personal. So yeah, I just okay. felt at that time um, I needed to be the person that I wanted to be. So I just felt going to America was the opportunity to play football in another country, do something big with football potentially, but to grow as a person as well. 
So, Barry, what was the like selection process like? Obviously, college sports in America are absolutely massive and mm-hmm. something a lot of people in the UK maybe aren't quite sure about. Obviously, I, I know quite a bit about college sports and kind of the process and mm-hmm. I know a lot of the kind of selection process is based on kind of high school achievements and stuff like that. Obviously, you didn't quite have the luxury of being at an American high school. So, how mm-hmm. did that kind of differ for you coming across from Scotland, presumably with a few other boys kind of sharing the American dream, if you like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, great question. Um, well, like, kind of going back to like uh, the first point USA because I've it ended up uh, because this was two thousand and four um, when I had my uh, trial, as you would say, at the at the college in Paisley. Uh, that was in mid April. It was a Tuesday morning. I remember it well. Um, so I was going down to train with his boys, and uh, his boys that were there had came from Saint Mirren. Greenock, uh, Greenock Morton Pro Youth, they were a really, really good standard. So obviously nerve wracking. It's a, it's an opportunity to impress, to go into bigger things. Um, but thankfully, you know, it went well, um, and they forwarded my name to John McLaughlin, who contacted me a couple of weeks later. Um, so my process to get to uni, obviously in America, they've got the high school, as you said, Cami. Um, coaches could freely come to watch them play. Uh, they would then invite them over to the college so they can have a tour of the place, get to meet the players, maybe have a training session or a practice session with the guys. Obviously, coming from Scotland and like players from England, Wales and Ireland, unless you've got a bit of money, you don't have that luxury to go and try before you buy kind of thing. Yep. Um, so I went and had my interview um, at the first point uh, head, well, headquarters. That's so American, isn't it? Uh, they were in... <laughs> They were in Bath Street at the time, so I went with my mum, uh, like absolutely nervous because, you know, you just want to impress. So I had my sit-down chat with him. He was only really looking at my academics, so my high school grades and what I'd done in university. And um, he said the the grades that I've got are more than good enough to get a, a really good scholarship. Um, so we know you've got the brains, but what we need to see, we want is to see if you can actually play because we can't obviously promote you if you, you know, uh, you, you, if your standard's not quite there, so which yeah, is to- which is obviously understandable. So it was another. Um, I think it was the end. It was the end of May, so it was about three, three or four weeks. I had my trial game, and it was in a junior park in Greenock. I want to say it's Ravenskeg Stadium. I might be wrong. In yeah, then is it Ravenskeg Stadium? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. So, uh, Uncle Michael took me up there, and uh, it was most nerve. Again, I'm nervous because you know. Yeah, you want to do well. So I, I was so I felt so scared going up to that game because I just thought this is this is that I need to make sure I'm on I'm on the ball. I want to make sure I, I don't make any mistakes. I just want to make sure it goes by perfect. But when I got there, there was 60, 60 other players who were who looked just as nervous as what I did. And as soon as I saw them, I just felt so relaxed after that. So uh, I had the trial game. There was a couple of boys that had been already playing over in America that came over to uh, play in the game. Uh, and they, they, what they done was they did three 30-minute periods. So the first game, I've always been a, a left-sided player. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was always been left-mid or left-back. So the first half or the first 30-minute period, I was right-mid. Second 30-minute period, I was uh, centre-mid. And then the, the third 30-minute period was was left-mid. So that was the end of May. Um, I felt it went good. Um, end of the week, it was a wait. Uh, so that was on Monday, and then on the Friday I got my letter through um, from First Point USA, and it was a letter basically saying that they 
were delighted to accept me and promote me across America. And honestly, at that time, it was the best day of my life. I just felt it was like such a huge, it was like the biggest achievement for me. You know, I just thought, oh my God, this, this, this dream is yeah. potentially going to become a reality. So that was um, end of May, that was 2004. Now, there was a chance that I could have went to America on August, but it was just too tight. I didn't really have any offers in at that time because it was like a two-month, three-month period. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, I think it was like the initial pay at the time was £850 uh, just to pay to cover all their expenses and promoting you and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I had to wait basically till August 2005 before I went. Um, so after December, once the season had finished, um, January onwards, January 2005 onwards was when colleges started uh, getting in contact with me so I had six colleges in total uh, across America um, who were interested at the time I was hoping for a college in Florida or California but unfortunately <laughs> there was no colleges that came through at that time uh, there was another football convention at, well it was Murray Park Rangers uh, training ground um, and it was that was on that was April 2005 and that's when the head coach at Malone college who then became Malone University uh, was there and that's how he got in touch with me and he was the only coach that actually saw me play in person and with his emails going back and forth I could tell that he really wanted me to be there and yeah. I, that was the most important I didn't want to come in just as a, a player from another country I wanted somebody to have seen me and want me to play for his team yeah, because he that, felt that I could have made connection with I guess as well yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, it just felt right with Malone. Um, there was two other Scottish boys uh, that had been playing for the team and there was another three or four coming in, including myself. So my freshman year, there was five. Um, so once I had got that basically done and dusted with Malone, I then had to sit an SAT exam um, and I sat that at Glasgow Uni. Uh, I can't remember when I took it exactly, but it was like a, like a four-hour exam roughly and it's just... A variety of different math and English exams. It was basically like high school, you yeah. know, listening exams, reading exams, uh, problem solving for math, trigonom trigonometry, etc. And uh, whatever score you got in the SAT, uh, it determined um, what kind of academic scholarship you would get. So I got a football or an athletic and an academic scholarship. So it worked out that my scholarship was 75% scholarship. So basically, uh, my mum was paying 25% of the tuition fees because yeah, it's sure. completely different over there uh, compared to how it is over here in the, in the UK. So once I got that sorted, uh, got my visa uh, in Belfast and then I was away over to the States on the 10th, 10th of August 2005. But it was difficult. It was difficult in the sense that I couldn't go over and see the university. Um, where the university was based, sorry, was a place called Canton, Ohio, which is like an hour from Cleveland. So, like, I'm t uh, obviously Google and everything wasn't as good as what it is now. So you're you're going on Google and you're typing in Canton, Ohio, and like, there's very basic. There's, there wasn't many pictures of the place at the time. I'm uh, going on the Malone website, um, and it was just you know there was there wasn't really any pictures of the actual campus. It was just you know you could go into the athletic roster and look at the the, the squad. Um, the guys would send over like you know like a booklet of the two thousand and four season. So I was like studying each player and yeah. seeing where they were from and 
what their, their, their strengths their strengths were. Because um, that's all I could do really uh, in prep in preparing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of you kind of touched on it there. You you went over there. You didn't really know you know what you were kind of walking into having not been there already. So what was your sort of first impression of the college? The you know the facilities, obviously mm-hmm. getting into the types of training and things, and how they sort of I guess how they integrate a whole new class of players into to some of the more established players that have maybe been there already for for two or three seasons what's that sort of first I guess the kind of first few weeks integrating mm-hmm. you into the team like yeah so like during the summer they had um, they'd sent me over like a training program to follow which you know like I'd never received anything like that in my previous football experience so uh, there was a number of drills at the time that I had no no clue what they meant like T drills yeah. M drills and I was like you know I was trying to just make it up as I went along. Um, so I was doing all the, any anything they wanted me to do, I was doing all the, the fitness work, like going into the, the local gym and just doing the, the training that they wanted me to do. Um, but going over there, like it was the first time, I'd never been over to America before, so it was like a fish out of water. Um, yeah. I feel like when I landed in America the first time, seeing all like the police officers at the airports with their guns, like it was intimidating. You felt like you were on a movie set. Um, and... When I landed at the airport, the head coach and the team captain were there to pick me up. Uh, so it was just it was just surreal, you know, like hearing the American accent. Like the coach Todd Clark, his name was. Uh, when I looked at his picture in the the, uh, the booklet he gave me, he looked like a big guy, you know, like he looked like a big stocky American. Mm-hmm. But the guy was five foot six. Like I couldn't <laughs> believe how t- I couldn't believe how tiny he was. Um, and then the team captain Kevin Fisher, he was going into his final season, so. Um, they picked me up, uh, we drove, it was like a half hour uh, to the campus, they gave me a look at the campus, obviously being in, coming from Glasgow, living outside a city most of my life, Canton was very spread out, it was like, um, it wasn't a city, it wasn't uh, like a farm village, but it was just, everything was just very spaced out, there was a lot yeah. of empty land, um, so the college was very small, um, it was, I think it was like just under 4,000 students there. Um, so they said like the the student to profess, professor ratio was for every one professor there was like they could there was like fifteen students so you had a good personal relationship with everybody but the campus was great um, it looked amazing like when I went over to the soccer field um, it was massive um, it was I would probably say it was just short of uh, the indoor pitch of Tory Glen it was a very long mm-hmm. wide pitch. Um, you had the baseball field, you had the American football field. Um, it was it was crazy. Like having a tour in the campus, it just looked like something from the movies, you know, like the athletic yeah. locker room. Everyone had their own individual locker. Um, all the colleges and obviously the MLS teams are sponsored by Adidas, so they basically said if you need any boots, we've got Copas, we've got Predators. Just let us know, and we'll get them for you. It was uh, it was amazing as a as a twenty year old at the time going over. You felt like you were being treated like a professional footballer. That's that's yeah. how it felt. It was brilliant. Um, everyone was. I forget what you, the other question that you you you'd asked there, but um, no, everyone was very welcome. Like I stayed with Kevin, the captain, for the first couple of days um, before moving on to the campus. Just before pre-season, that's when I got to meet all the players. Um, yep. And it was quite funny though. Like the American guys, very nice. Um, very welcoming uh, the Scottish well there was two Scottish boys that played previous season but one never came back but the other guy that was there it took him at like a week or so before he you know started chatting a lot more I wasn't sure if I maybe me and the other Scottish boys 
stole his limes, limelight because he was yeah. the only Scottish boy, but he was a bit kind of reluctant to start chatting properly until like a week and a half. Maybe he was trying to suss out our abilities if we were yeah, okay. good enough or not. But um, other than that, it was they were very welcoming, very positive, which is what I would say. Like there was a lot of motivational, uh, positive um, quotes across the walls and in our handouts and on our bags and everything. Yeah, I mean, now you sort of touched on, you mentioned the MLS there, and obviously Cammy mentioned in, in his question about how big college sports are over there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the MLS has grown in stature here. It's, it's, it's on Sky, you know, a lot of people are mm-hmm. people are starting to take it seriously now. But, yeah, you know, the, the two kind of predominant college sports, I guess, in, in America are the American football and the basketball. But, you know, mm-hmm. back then, how big a deal was soccer at the time? You know, what? how did it sort of compare to, I guess, the fan culture that we have over here where it's, it's an absolute, you know, it's, it's people's lives, it's their religion, it's, it's everything that they live and breathe um, in comparison to over there where, you know, it's not the the sort of big sport that everyone's into. How did you find the, the sort of differences between that? Yeah, um, well, basically Canton, um, the the NFL Football Hall of Fame is actually in Canton um, yeah. and that's where the Malone College football team, that's where they played their home games. Um, so Canton was a big, big, well, American football um, town um, soccer was like you know maybe fourth or fifth yeah. uh, main sport so like there was a lot of people that you play soccer that's not that's not a man's sport that's it <laughs> the, the, you know the nonsense that you would hear you know um, but at the time when I went over in 2005 like I've got it in my wee notes here um, during the MLS there was probably half the amount of teams in the MLS then compared to now Um I mean, the two big players, uh, or the two most uh, famous players, I would say, in the MLS at that time was Freddie Adu. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget his first name, but the Mexican striker, Blanco. Uh, remember the, the player in the World Cup? He used to put the ball in between his feet and jump over players. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know who you're on about. Yeah. Yeah. He was at, I believe he was playing for Chicago Fire. So they were the only two players, I would say, that were really, they, they were the big name players. And it wasn't until a year later when David Beckham went over. Um, and I did notice that when David Beckham went over, like the Americans treated him like you know the Messiah, um, and it was from him joining LA Galaxy that's when I noticed football or soccer was starting to get more of a name, and it was starting to become hugely popular. Like, yeah, um, a stat that we found out was that the majority of kids, I think it was under fourteen years old, the most popular sport in America for kids under fourteen was football, soccer. Um, and it's only when they start going to middle school, high school, and obviously the way they do, the way they promote sports in high school over there is unbelievable compared to in the UK. Um, like, I've, all the kids get exposed to so many different sports. You've got fall sports, which is the sports between August and December, and then you've got the spring sports. So that's when, obviously, like they'll be playing basketball and uh, more indoor um, yeah. or track and field. Um, but it's definitely grown. The college soccer, it was on TV. Like I don't know if you guys are familiar with how the the college divisions work. Um, but you've got four divisions. You've got NCAA Division One, which is the big one. Um, mm-hmm. that's that's the division that tends to be highlighted a lot in the um in the TV, like you know, like the college football. Um, is it the what do you call them? Um. Ohio Buckeye, Ohio State Buckeyes, for example, yep. they were the big college team. Uh, NCAA Division Two, II, Division Three, and then the division I was in was the NEIA. So 
when I went over there, I thought it was basically the divisions worked the same as divisions over here, but it isn't. It, the divisions just go by the size of the um, the college. So NEIA is like your smaller colleges, like students between two and four thousand students. NCAA Division One, like Ohio State, they've got um, I think was it like three four hundred thousand students. It's something ridiculous like that. Um, the college football team. Their stadium holds one hundred and twenty thousand people, um, and that's a college. You know that yeah. just that just tells you how big it is over there. But the, the soccer, what it was televised, but it wasn't it wasn't popular at that time. So around that time, obviously, as you'd mentioned, MLS was kind of taking off. Uh, teams were kind of growing, and then Beckham would come. Who were the kind of players, or were there any players kind of in your class, if you like, who kind of went on to go and become something? I'm just trying to rack my brain around the kind of time that that would have been. Would Clint Dempsey and stuff kind of been in college around that time or was he maybe a few years ahead of you? Like, who kind of were players that, that went on to become something, if any? Um, well, I know, um, I think during that time, Clint Dempsey was at Fulham, I'm sure, um, because I know a lot of the players in my team, they loved Clint Dempsey because he was playing in the, 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 Premier, or the Premier League at the time. Um, I'm sure it was around 2006 or seven. I think he signed with Fulham, sure. Um, I don't think he. I don't think he was at. I think if he was at college, it would have been before then. Yeah. Um, which I think there was no real players during my time and the players <laughs> I played against. Like, I played against some real good players, like. Uh, but I never really saw their names go into playing professional. Um, like the big team in America in terms of soccer uh, was a university that actually was half an hour from my college called the University of Akron or the Akron Zips and their soccer team has been great for over a decade now and we used to go and watch them and we'd compare our, our team compared to theirs and the big difference I mean it was I wouldn't say there was a huge difference in terms of the ability of each players but each player but what the, the biggest difference was the athleticism of the players like the speed at which they played was was frightening um yeah. but again they had some really really good players but I didn't see any of their names go on to play professional um but I know it's hard now obviously seeing all these young players now compared to what it was 10 15 years ago um, but I can't really, off the top of my head, know any players that I came across that are in the Premier League now. I yeah. know there was one, in fact, who was the player? He was at Sunderland, American striker, I forget his name. Oh, who's uh, out the door? Yep, it was him. He was 17, 18 at the time. And there was a lot of players that, uh, there was a few players actually that, that played alongside me that said they'd played against him in high school and he said he was a, he was a freak. It was just, it was like, you, you thought he was 10 years older because he's yeah. physique. He was just a big, strong, physical player. And obviously when he went over to the, the Premier League, they, um, everyone was talking about how he was going to make such a big impression. But unfortunately, I don't think his career really um, succeeded the way people wanted to. Especially the guy that was at Rangers, was it uh, Morisedo? Morisedo, um, yeah. Morisedo, he was another one that... Uh, people had high expectations for and I think it, 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 I mean, he had a good career at Rangers um, but I think they were expecting a lot more from him Yeah, I think um, just on Jose Altador, I actually was talking about him to someone else recently, I think he's he's actually doing pretty well back over in the, in the well, not in the States, he plays in the MLS but he plays in Toronto so technically not the States but mm-hmm. yeah, I think he was a guy that, that really had a, a huge amount of hype about him I remember the likes of, sort of Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey as, as Callie mentioned, as 
as some of these guys, but there does seem to be a, a kind of upturn in, in the, the Americans, I guess, that are being produced um, mm-hmm. over there. You know, the guys like Chris and Pulisic, obviously, it was at Dortmund. Um, there's a lot of guys who are coming over from America. And I think that's helping with the, the kind of stature and, and the way that people are perceiving yeah. the sport over there as well, that they've got some of these big names. They've been able to bring in some big European players in their, in their prime years. You know, you mentioned David Beckham. They had David Villa. Um, you know, yep. they've had these these big players over there, and I think it's definitely helping with the sport. Um, I mean, kind of touched on a little bit, but just a kind of question, a kind of random one, I guess. In terms of being a college athlete, you know, Cami mentioned that that college sports over there are, are massive. They're almost as as big or bigger as as a lot of professional sports are. How are you perceived by you know your sort of peers or other students in the university? You know, you see all these TV shows and, and movies where the college athlete is practically a god on campus you know how mm-hmm. how realistic is that how are you perceived and how how sort of different is it um over there being an athlete rather than just a regular sort of educational student or academic student yeah i mean uh, i would definitely say you get more of uh you, you get you do get slightly better treatment of people compared to you know your your standard student um mm-hmm. what i did notice was i think it was more so I, I know myself and the the other Scots guys that were there, uh, the English boy Marcos, um, and then the Mexicans that were in our team, we never really thought much of it. We we just wanted to get to know everybody. But we did notice like a few of the American uh, soccer athletes uh, just kind of, they, 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 they would walk around with a presence, like I'm an athlete and you're not yeah. kind of thing. Uh, they would only talk to people who... Where now I wouldn't say that about all the American athletes, of course, but there was quite a few that would only uh, have conversations or get to know people who were also athletes. Um, for me, like some of my real close friends didn't play any sports. Sure. Uh, I think like during that time, you're you're with the guys all the time. You know, you might ha- be with them in class. You're, you're practicing, you're training every day. Um, so meeting people that, that didn't play sport, I just like to get to know everybody but there is definitely you do get more of a uh, you do get better treatment I think the, the lecturers uh, the professors tend to help you out a little bit more if you've got deadlines for projects mm-hmm. uh, and if you're if you're in the middle of your season uh, they'll give you a little extension uh, which is obviously nice um, and people do like you, I, I did notice a few times if you're at house parties and stuff um, and you would get like people that would that would come up to you more once they've had a couple of beers down them and they feel a little bit more relaxed and they would talk to you as if you're like some sort of celebrity which is kind of <laughs> interesting a nice I, feeling. Mean, I mean it was a nice feeling then you come back to Scotland and it's just hi guys <laughs> yeah but um no I mean don't get me wrong it was it, it was quite a nice feeling people coming up and genuinely want to get to know you and they're really interested about you uh playing soccer and where you came from which was which was great the amount of people that would ask questions about Scotland. Some of them, the questions were a bit ridiculous, but uh, you do get kind of looked upon as if you're a local celebrity. But at the same time, I think for the for us uh, student athletes, um, it was important for us to lead by example and uh, be good role models. You know, like we are representing their college and their sport. And we had people coming to watch our games and supporting us and uh, wishing us luck. And they would want us to do well because you know like I wouldn't say it was a religion for them compared to what it is over here you know obviously in Glasgow the, or even any any club any club you support if your team loses at the weekend you know there's a lot of people whose weekends are ruined because of that mm-hmm. so I wouldn't say it would get to that level however 
there was a good support network from them and you felt like it was your duty to make sure that when you played, you set the pace, you set the standards, you got a result and you kept them on your side, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, you, you sort of mentioned the support network there. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. So I know that you, you know, yourself, as a lot of athletes do, have dealt with a few injuries during your career. I know you mentioned the support network there. I mean, you're a, you know, you're a young guy. You're not much out of your teenage years in a, in a country thousands of miles from home without your family you know how how do they support you when you when you're injured you know do they try and place an emphasis on keeping you around the team trying to keep you sort of around the people that you're familiar with to try and i guess keep the morale up you know what how, how do they how do they tackle that being so far from home and not really having your family there to support you in, in times like that yeah i think i was fortunate um because i was living on campus so it wasn't as if i was i know like like i love listening to uh professional footballers and hearing their stories uh, when they're injured and they seem to be isolated a lot when they're injured yeah. like they'll go through a rehab they don't really I mean I know they'll interact with their teammates but not it doesn't seem as much and then they're at home uh, you, they might be playing like they end up playing like video games and whatnot we never got that I was fortunate because I was because I was at university so I had my teammates I had my other friends that were students there uh, you were down in the, I was down in the athletic training room almost every day getting uh, my injuries iced or going through my physiotherapy. Uh, and we did have the option, the coach did give us the option that during practice, like whether it be, uh, well, when I blew my knee out, there was like three or four games remaining. Um, so even after the season's finished, they would have like a, a week's rest and then you get back to just training. And I would go down every day, uh, the last thing I wanted to do was, because there was a couple of boys during that season, my first year as well, that get injured. And like when they were injured, they never went to any training sessions. They didn't come to the games to support. Um, and I just thought, well, if I can't support my teammates playing, then I'm going to do it. Whether it be, you know, collecting all the balls during shooting practice yep. or you know, like supporting them or if anyone's having a bad session, just to give them some motivation to keep going. And So I wanted to do the best I could. The coach gave it made it optional for us uh, but I definitely wanted to get involved so even though it was hard uh, because you've travelled three and a half thousand miles to go and play football and you're not going to play for almost a year um, but it's a good way to keep your mind focused and to stay positive knowing that eventually I'm going to be back on that practice field I'm going to be back playing with them uh, so the sub the support network was great. Like the physiotherapy over there was was fantastic. I don't think I would have been able to have played football longer and do the things that I do training wise if it wasn't for the help from the athletic trainers that helped me rebuild my my knee yeah. after the injury. So obviously your injury was pretty serious. You said you were out for about a year. Was there times during that where there was maybe suggestions that you might not have been allowed back in the team or due to your scholarship where you kind of guaranteed to be in the team? Like, kind of, what was the situation mm -hmm. with that? I know, kind of, certainly mm -hmm. here when players get injured, especially when they're young, it, it, it can often be kind of end the career. But yeah, yeah, kind of, what what happened? Yeah, it was definitely uh, like just when you touch on that, I just remembered like at that time the head coach, the guy that that brought me over, Todd Clark. He actually left uh, during the, the so the semesters divided into. Two, so fall semester, which is August till December, and then spring, January till uh, end April, beginning of May. So during the spring semester, 
I'd actually had, well, I got injured on the 15th of October 2005. I had my surgery back home January 2006, and I had to stay home for a couple of months because they'd said that if I went back to America within during those first two months after surgery, if I'd picked up an infection, then my insurance wouldn't cover it. So I'd no, uh, I had to stay home basically. So during that time, uh, the head coach had actually left. He decided to go to another college down in um, Florida to work with women with a women's team. So it was nerve-wracking because I was away. Um, I couldn't get there. I wasn't sure what was happening. I had a bum knee. It just been repaired. Uh, I wouldn't probably be... It was a race against time for me to be fit for the start of the season, which was in August. Um, I wasn't sure who was going to take over as, as head coach at the time. So I wasn't sure what was happening. I was worried that I wasn't going to be coming back. I did have a scholarship that had me there for four years. Um, they have a, a an academic grade that we get each semester called a GPA, which is a grade point average. Uh, so basically the, the highest you can get is 4.0 for the student athletes uh, to be eligible to play the following season. They had to make sure their GPA was 2.0 or higher. So if their GPA or their GPA does that make sense? If their GPA yep, was sitting at 1.7, then they would not be eligible to play the following season. Yeah. Okay. So that I think that's good because, you know, how some players, there's, there's some people who just want to play their sport and that's that. But in order for you to play your sport, you had to make sure your uh, academic level was high. Um, so it was good in a way that if nothing was to happen with your sporting career, you've got a degree uh, to fall back on, obviously. Um, so... I couldn't, so it was tricky for me, the academic side. I had to do online classes. It took three weeks for my books to arrive. The online classes were eight weeks long. Um, so that was a big stressor, like doing my rehabilitation and trying to keep my grade up for being able to play that season. So it was nerve-wracking during that time. Uh, thankfully, the, the head coach that came in was the assistant coach, a guy called Marcus Walker. So... He'd seen me play and he'd obviously reassured me that, don't worry, just make sure your GPA is high uh, or it's it's above the um, eligibility level and uh, we'll see you uh, We'll see you for pre-season. Just do what the athletic trainer tells you to do. So as soon as he said that, that was uh, just before the end of the semester, um, that gave me a bit of peace of mind and just kind of focus on, on my football training. But I, once I got back, I got back. Uh, it was during spring break. I came back after my two months being at home. Um, and then it was eight weeks left of the semester. So all I did was just focus on my studies yeah. uh, and obviously do my rehabilitation. So thankfully it wasn't too bad. Um, but it was nerve-wracking. The first couple of months were quite stressful, especially as it was just after my surgery and my knee was, there was so much swelling. And the main focus there was just making sure I was getting full range of motion in the knee again and being able to walk without a limp. So it was quite a stressful period. Yeah, I can understand that. So just quickly, building on that kind of GPA thing you'd mentioned, do you mm -hmm. think that would be something kind of possible in Scotland? And, or do you think it's something that maybe casts aside a lot of really good players who maybe don't have the academic brains? Do you think it's a faith system and it's maybe rewarding more academically talented people rather than kind of athletically talented? Or kind of how do you think that balance kind of works? I think it's a great system, if I'm honest with you, Cammy. Um, it's a system that the Americans use even through high school. Um, and 
like what I did notice with the American students that were playing in the team, they were very disciplined in their studies. You know, like I grew up um, in a wee village called Moody'sburn, uh, which is just outside Cumbernauld. And I remember most of us, uh, the, my peers, like we'd, we'd study, of course, but we were very lazy about it. And there was no real pressure, you know, like uh, you see a lot of guys that, you know, leave high school, fourth year, uh, to focus on our football. I know now that there's there's a, there's a huge study network in the, the, some of the pro youth teams now, which is great. But I think the GPA system is uh, it's great because it adds pressure uh, to the students, both male and female, that if they want to play for their high school team um, or their club team, they need to ensure that their academic grades um, are at a certain level. And that could, you know, think of, I'm sure you guys know plenty of boys that you've played alongside that could have played football they get re- they, they get released from their teams and they might have taken that hat really badly that they didn't know how to bounce back from that failure and they don't have any academic grades to go back on yeah they could go through college and go from there but the thought of going through a two three four year process and then thinking oh I'm in my mid-20s now if I'll just go and do this they go on to have happy lives but I think that the GPA system is um I think it's great for the kids I just think it instills discipline um, I think it instills focus as well and it gives them something away from football or away from their sports. I think you need that balance. Um, I know for myself, like it was just football, 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 football. And if I had a bad game or if I had a bad training session, I would really be very critical of myself. And I didn't have that balance to help me um, until I went over to America and obviously having that stress to have the, um, to keep my, my grades up definitely helped that. Yeah. And it also helped me think of life after football because again all I thought about was football going back to when I was 16 having those anxiety attacks stressing what am I going to do in my life if I don't become a footballer and having an injury was the best thing that happened to me because you know I went from football to becoming a personal trainer and working in the fitness industry so at least I was able to stay active. Yeah I thought you I definitely agree with what you're saying about the having the, the GPA thing there gives them a certainly an after football Type of thing, you know. I, I think Shay Logan at Aberdeen was in the in the news recently for I think he's going through. I'm, I'm sure it's a plumbing. Can I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. A plumbing apprenticeship or something right now because he knows, you know, he knows football's not going to be going much longer. He's in his thirties already. He needs to have mm-hmm. something to keep him going. And they seem to get unfairly seem to get a bit of sort of criticism for that, where people think, you know, you're a you're a professional footballer. You're going to be absolutely loaded your entire life. And, and why should you need to go out and get a a regular job, but the reality of it is, there's so many footballers who earn a good living, yeah, that, that while they play. But then, obviously, once they retire, the money starts to dry up. They maybe haven't had the the savings or the financial support and whatnot, and they end up in, in some sort of difficulty. So, yeah. I think I, I would be intrigued to see how we could make it work in Europe with the sort of football academies and such. But I definitely agree that giving them a focus of the educational side of it as well is is a really good thing, certainly for for kind of forward planning. Um, sort of I guess kind of naturally jumping into the forward planning part of it so when you finished playing um, I believe you went into the coaching team at Malone can you kind of talk about how that came about and and how your experience was moving on from you know playing a member of the playing squad into the staff yeah so uh, my final season was actually (laughs) um, it wasn't a a memorable season by all means Uh, the head coach had been at the end of our season, or end of my football career, the, the head coach, Marcus Walker, he'd actually been relieved of his duties, um, to put it nicely. Okay. So uh, he'd, 
been released and during that time between November and December, uh, I just decided to come away for a couple of months, just to come away from football. It was a very stressful season. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched the Sunderland Till I Die mm-hmm. um, show, but the, the first season reminded me of my final season at Malone. Uh, we'd lost a lot of seniors in my third year. Uh, the coach didn't replace them with good young players. He brought in players that were more academic than playing-wise, so we had a very, very weak team. So I was actually the coach. Uh, sorry, I was actually the captain my final season, um, yep. and it was very, very difficult. There was a lot of boys who... Because where Malone was, it was a... a uh, Christian University so there's a lot of boys that were homeschooled so we had quite a few players on the team that, ho- that were homeschooled and they didn't really have those social skills anyway it was a it was a very difficult season so I took two months away and in January we actually had a zoobiology professor who coached younger kids uh, like teenagers as well uh, called Dr Chris Carmichael fantastic guy uh, just a, an amazing human being so he came in uh, to become the part-time head coach of the soccer team and he'd asked myself and um, another player, Lucas, uh, Martirana, uh, to be his assistant coaches. So that's how we went about it. So the spring semester, we came in and he brought he wanted us to be a part of the coaching team because obviously we knew the players, we knew the set-up of the team. He didn't really know much, so we were there to, to help him you know, get comfortable in the role and to be his right hand, right hand men basically. Um, but it, it, I liked it because I liked the, especially when I was uh, voted to become or nominated to become the captain. It was a, it was probably the the highest honour that was there. I, I felt very privileged to be nominated to be captain by my yeah. fellow peers. Um, I think the problem though that I experienced was that the players were still treating me as if I was one of their players and at the time I was finding it difficult to balance being the coach and being a friend kind of thing Um, so I was kind of I was analysing that thinking it may be better to be an assistant coach at another university or Mm -hmm. club uh, just to kind of get that detachment it wasn't a big issue of course because I knew that the guys um, I had their respect and I knew the guys valued what advice I gave them and like I always when I was there I was always wanting to make sure I could help the guys in any way I can whether it was to instill confidence or self-belief in themselves or just to give them some uh, advice in their position and what to do in their decision making and whatnot but I've, I did I really enjoyed it uh, the pre-season the following year was great um, the coach of the head coach obviously Dr Carmichael he put the plan in place and uh, Lucas was in charge of the attacking shape games and I was in charge of the defensive shape games. So it was good working with, you know, defenders, defensive midfielders with a, a goalkeeping coach from Iraq, Uli, um, who looked like Richard Gere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was he was taking care of the, the, the goalkeeper. So it was great, you know, it was definitely something I wanted to do at the time. Uh, that was, obviously I was just becoming a personal trainer too, but while I was in Ohio, like working with my team as an assistant coach, it was definitely what I wanted to get into. And coaching over there is, is huge, you know, like coaching's great over here as well, but like there's a lot of big, there's a lot of money uh, to in coaching in America, especially if you come from another country. And, at the time, that's what I was hoping to 
get involved in. Uh, but it was a great experience. It was a great experience, like working in the coaching side of yeah. things and uh, going and scouting teams, going to colleges you are going to be playing against in a couple of weeks and watching them, um, just analysing them and bringing back data or data for the coach just to kind of analyse who are the players to watch, what's their strengths and weaknesses. Um, so it, it was it was a good initial um, experience on that side. So kind of thinking more kind of overall from your entire experience, both as a coach, the academic side and obviously the playing side, is it something that you'd recommend and would encourage young players who maybe aren't kicking on as as they'd like at Scottish clubs or just kind of pro youth level or whatever to go out and give it a, give it a bash? Yeah, 100%, Cammy. 100%. Um, anytime I've interacted with someone, uh, whether it be any sport, and if I see that they're you know, struggling or they're kind of losing their passion, I would ask them, have you ever thought about pursuing a scholarship in America? Even if it's in another, a scholarship in another country. I just thought for myself, uh, before I went over there, like football was my passion. Um, I wanted to do something with it. Uh, at the time, I'd, I felt like my self-esteem was low. I was low in confidence. I was quite a timid person. Um, and I really wanted to do something with football. Personally, my mum my and dad were splitting up, so it wasn't a, a, a good time at, at that moment uh, when I found out about the football scholarship. And then obviously my experiences, not just in the football side, the academic side, but you're meeting from people, you're meeting people literally from all over the world. You're learning about other cultures. People are want to learn about you. People want to learn about uh, your country. I found, I didn't realise how passionate I, or how patriotic I was about Scotland until I was in America. Uh, <laughs> uh, just from people asking me questions. Um, and the opportunity, the opportunities that arrive from that, you know, like after my playing career, my coaching career, uh, I came back home. Uh, but before I came back home, I was looking at jobs for personal training in Scotland. And then I got an email through asking if I like a, a query, uh, if I was interested in doing personal training or fitness coaching on cruise ships. That's a totally different subject, of course, but. Um, a year and a half later, after um, being in America, I then worked on cruise ships for two years, and then you know I got to travel the world. So I know that if I wasn't, if I never went to America, I wouldn't have then had an amazing experience traveling the world on cruise ships. So you just don't know where life can take you if you don't take that opportunity or you don't take that risk to do something spontaneous. Um, I went away from family; it was hard, uh, but I do remember like going over to America. I wasn't. Sounds bad. I wasn't sad that I was missing my family. I was excited knowing that I was going to play football in another country. Yeah, yeah you get homesick. Of course you do. Um, and then only getting to speak to your family maybe once a week or once a month or something. It, it's tough, but I mean, you're busy. You know, your, your brain's always occupied. If you're not training, you're studying. And if you're not doing either, you're out partying with your friends. Um, so it's a, it's a huge opportunity, Any, especially in Scotland. Like, if there's anybody listening who's been thinking about it or they want to do something with football and maybe they're in the same boat as I was, like maybe a bit low in confidence, go and do it. Go and do it. It's It'll be the best decision you've ever made. It'll be tough, but you only get stronger by going through tough experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just one other question I kind of had that is relevant mm-hmm. to you specifically being a, a personal trainer as well. The length of the season over there now, I'm, I think I'm right in saying it's only about three or four months, the actual yeah. playing season. So yeah. when you're not 
when you're not playing games and you're not having those sort of daily or, or, or weekly training sessions and whatnot, do the do the coaches and do the university still have these programs to keep you in shape? You know, you don't want to be playing three four months and then putting on loads of weight and not being quite as <coughs> fit to come back into the season. So how, I guess, how much of an emphasis do they put on your fitness and the off season um, as part of that? Yeah, um, that was definitely the big shock. Um, like I had to look twice. Uh, to realise that the season was only three or four months. Like the pre-season would start in August, and then if you don't get to the, uh, if you don't qualify to the the playoffs or the championships, your season could be done by the end of October. Um, so you're playing basically two games, two games a week. The only day you've got complete rest is a Sunday. So once the season's finished, um, it tends to be like between like November and like the exams. The final exams of the semester was like the beginning of December. So you'd be back home. Uh, obviously, if you if you chose to, you'd be back home for a three week break between like mid December and the second week of January. Yeah. So during that time, they might pa- they might have what they call pick up games, like you know you just meet up at this time and you know get your jumpers down and play or something like that. But yeah. most of the guys would just come away from football and go into the gym. Like I, I was really really tiny um, when I first went over there, and especially the junior and senior guys, like physically they were absolute machines. Um, and that was my goal. Was like, right? I've always been told that I'm too light. I need to put on muscle. I need to get stronger. So, what I want to do during this off season is just improve my physique, get stronger, get more powerful. And that's what the that's what the coaches put an emphasis um, put an emphasis on is just building your body um, to become like you know professional athletes basically. Yeah. Uh, so we had a, a particular training program. Um, they were quite lenient on the diet. They would they would encourage you to you know consume X amount of calories, what to eat, uh, what to stay away from. But because it was the off season, they were a little bit more lenient on it. But obviously, that was my college. Like I'm sure the NCAA Division One colleges were probably a lot more stricter in that sense. Um, but it was only until you had preseason where you were not allowed to drink any fizzy juice, no junk food whatsoever. This is what you can eat. This is what you can't eat. If you're drinking any fluids, it's only water or, um, you know, we had, was it Powerade? Yeah. Uh, Powerade-based drinks. That was the only thing we could um, have. So the big emphasis during the off-season was just turning our bodies into machines, you know, making sure, like, they had the, the main compound lifts. Like, that's when I learned how to squat properly, deadlift, bench press. Um, like, we'd be playing, like, indoor like football games, like six aside and stuff. Uh, like in Ohio, like they have snow from basically December up until April. So the only way you can play football is indoor. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were playing those games, um, but it was a long time away uh, from a season. I I wasn't a big fan of that. I like the I like what we have here. How the season, the preseason starts in June. And then the season starts in August and then it kind of goes all the way till May. Yeah, you've got um, a bit more consistency and, and routine, I suppose, don't you? Yeah, like you've got, I think as well, in terms of keeping your body strong, like you've got the big game on Saturday. Sometimes you might have two games a week if you had a cup game or if it was like, you know, if you're playing in the lower leagues in, in Scotland, you're playing two games a week probably just to catch up. The games yeah. have been called off. Um, plus, if you've got an injury, then... That wasn't necessarily your season finished. Uh, you could be out for maybe a couple of months and then you'd be back. But over there, like as I said, like my first season, I was playing really well, doing great, and then I blew my knee out. So I only played seven games my first year, and that was me out. Um, and then going into my second season, because it was so tight since surgery, like I was playing with a knee that was sixty-five percent strong, and I had to wear a knee brace. So 
Um, I didn't like that aspect. I prefer like a, a longer season like what yeah, we have okay. here. Um, but it was great. Like obviously the conditioning side of things. Like I got f- the fittest and strongest I'd ever been. Um, and that's the big point I would say compared to over here was the athleticism over there. Like any young boy or girl going over to America to play, like they all know it's a big difference in it within the year of how fit they actually are, how strong they become. They'll be able to do things they thought they weren't able to do, and it just enhances their their own individual ability as a whole. So finally, then Barry, before we wrap up, um, what would be the kind of biggest lesson or takeaway from the whole experience that you had? Yeah, I think for me personally, um, patience and persevering. Perseverance was probably the two biggest lessons I learned. Just if I look at my life up until now, um, I think in terms of the patience aspect, when I when I blew my knee out, it was um, I tore my anterior cruciate ligament, my medial cruciate ligament. I'm a meniscus uh, when somebody uh, crashed into me. Uh, so it was the basically the nine, ten month process of getting back to playing. Um, I was very driven. Oh, I've always been very driven, but at the time, yeah, it was it was quite difficult. Uh, there is times you get really low because you just want to play. You see your teammates when they're, when they're practising, um, not really kind of caring for the game as much as you do, and it can build up a lot of like, anger and frustration. Uh, but every day I woke up, like, like, what do I have to do to make my legs stronger? And then after that 10-month process, and then playing again was the best feeling ever. Like, it was a huge sense of self-achievement. So that was my first um, lesson in terms of being patient and learning to be patient throughout life, not just in football, but outside the football. Like, if there's issues going on with work, this is for anyone, any issues going on with work or relationships, um, it's to just be patient um, and just know that things will get better um, in time. And the perseverance, um, I know it's probably similar to patience, but it's just persevering through tough times. Uh, like the my final season, as I said, like, our head coach didn't recruit strong players, so we had a very, very weak team. We couldn't compete against um, the the teams. We had a very, very poor season. I think if I, I'm, it's embarrassing saying it, but in 19 games, we only won one. We lost the rest. So it was basically we had a Sunderland. Uh, no disrespect to any Sunderland fans watching, but that's what it was like. It was horrible, you know, and it was like me and three other players who, who were experienced trying to keep this team together, but soon as the team goes 2-0 down, 1-0, 2-0 down, you can see everybody's head dropping and it was very difficult trying to stay positive and trying to keep the guys going uh, and doing that for three months. It was persevering for a very, very difficult time, but I'm glad I experienced it um, because, again, it only makes you stronger and it makes you appreciate the good times a lot more. Um, and obviously, I can relate that to personal circumstances. Like, as I mentioned earlier, when my, my marriage broke down, it was a very, very difficult time, but I knew that the, the lessons I learned, the patience and the perseverance uh, during my time in America helped me get through that and uh, helped me recover. So um, I know it's pretty deep there, but that's what I'd probably say t- for me personally uh, was the lessons. But it was, a, it was a fantastic experience. You know, I'd, like I said, I'd encourage anyone who has the chance to go over to America, go and do it. Go and do it. Excellent. So uh, f- firstly, thank you very much for coming on. Um a great insight into something that not a lot of people are aware of and certainly something that I think a lot of people will feel encouraged by even just that bit at the end just speaking about patience and perseverance I'm sure even people not necessarily playing football or in sports I think that's that's bound to 
give a few people a boost, certainly in these uncertain times. Um, so thank you once again, and thank you to my co-host, Andrew Miller. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave likes, ratings, and don't forget to subscribe because there's plenty more pure football podcasts on their way to you in the future.